Can you turn to Genesis chapter 2 in your Bibles? I want to thank the band. I want to thank Luke. I want to thank the technical team. I want to thank everyone for helping us to worship just now. So encouraged. Such a sense of the Spirit of God. It's a sign of a healthy, mature church when people get turned away like they've just been. It's a sign of a healthy, mature church when people are hearing from God and eager to share what they believe God's saying. Um, uh, so don't be discouraged if you didn't get to bring your contribution earlier on. It's it would be wonderful. You know, back in the day when the church started, church went on all day. Are we up for that? <laughs> should, we, should we do that? Yeah? Okay, Steve, let's have a chat next week, see what we can arrange. And there was space and there was room, and the sermons lasted for hours, amen. Let's, let, we're going to go back to those days. Let's go back to the good old days. Um, so we are, we are actually returning to a series that we began at the beginning of the year, we went through Genesis chapter 1, um, and over the next couple of months, we'll be working through Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 in a series which we've titled Paradise Loved and Lost. Paradise Loved and Lost. For anyone who claims to believe in God, a benevolent God, that is a God who's always good and moving in goodness towards us. Anyone who claims belief in a God like that needs to also find some meaning through suffering and sin and pain, because that's the world we live in. So if you were to say to anybody, I believe in a God who is good and kind and amazing and wonderful and loves me and loves us overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly loves us, a person who doesn't believe in that God will probably ask you, then why is, this, why is life so tough? Why is your life tough? If God is so good, why is the world the way it is? Did you not watch the news last night? Did you, have you not logged online to see what's going on? How can you say God is good? These are questions which have been asked of people who believe in God always. And these passages of Scripture that we're reading in Genesis, this is God speaking to Moses as he was in the desert, in the wilderness, with a whole load, maybe a couple of million of people moaning and complaining about their suffering and their pain and their hard lives. And they're like, where is this good God, Moses, that you are telling us about? Where is he? We've not got food, we've not got water, you know, we're tired, our tent's leaking. I don't know what. They were moaning about everything. Like, where is this good God? And, and Moses encounters God, and God speaks to him and, and, and tells him wonderful things that we're going to be looking at today. Genesis is God speaking through Moses about how it, how it came to be that men and women who once lived in paradise lost it. And I would put to you that each and every one of us, in various ways and through various means, we're trying to get back to paradise. How do I get back to paradise? I'd say across every generation since, men and women have given everything to having, again, a sense of paradise. I wonder, has anyone achieved it yet? Men and women giving themselves to the best things in this world. Can I find paradise through my relationships? 
I need to get the best relationship. Paradise found through acquisition of wealth. Paradise found through success. Paradise found as I manipulate the world around me to suit me and to work for me. And I would say to you that outside of Christ, it's impossible to come close to tasting of the paradise which we all long for and which God wants you to have. The good news of the gospel is God's response not just to return us to Eden, not just to take us to the first paradise, but to give you and I a better paradise that would last forever. So these are the things that we're going to be looking at today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That's as far as we're going in chapter 2 today. I love mountains. Who loves mountains? So we love mountains. There's nothing kind of more awesome than being maybe at the foot of a mountain, looking up at its vastness. Think of the, uh, the highlands, or you think of the Alps or the Himalayas. And if you've stood at the foot of a mountain, you've looked up, you know your sense of being very small. But have you ever flown over the Alps? Anyone ever flown over the Alps before, or a mountain range? I flew over the Alps the Alps once, and it was just breathtaking, the vastness, these mountains which go on and on and on, snow-capped mountain peaks which you can see. When we come to read the Bible, there's a way in which we can approach various passages in the Bible a bit like those two scenarios I've painted. We can stand at the foot and look up or climb up and ascend one mountain and go, magnificent. What I'm hoping today will do is more like taking a flight over the Alps. I want us to look at a number of scriptures. I want us to look at a number of mountain tops in in the Bible. And And I hope, I can't do this, I hope the Holy Spirit will enable us to see a breathtaking view of the glory of God. And our Bibles are like, you know, Truth builds and builds as you read through the scripture. Revelation of God builds and builds as you go through the Bible. We're not meant to just stay in one place. We're meant to stand back and appreciate the fullness of the revelation of God that we have in the scriptures. And so today we are particularly thinking about a magnificent name. We are thinking about the name of God. Now, if you've got your Bible open, I just want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to scan Genesis chapter 1 with me. And I want you to scan it for the word God. I want you to look for the word God. You should see it everywhere in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, there are some 31 references to God in Genesis chapter 1. It's the Hebrew word Elohim, God. Genesis chapter 1, we encounter God, God the creator, God the almighty, God the powerful, God the one that speaks everything into existence. We have this awesome sense of this creator God, this all-powerful God. 
we have references to God over and over and over again. Now, look at Genesis chapter 2. And see the phrase, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. Do you see that? It's subtle. Until it's pointed out to you, you miss it. What's the significance of that? Is that significant? Well, of course, it's hugely significant. Hugely significant. Your, your very eternity rests on the significance of this. Your future, mine, ours, rests on the significance of this that we're going to be looking at. Genesis chapter 1, we encounter a God who is powerful and great and is the creator. But this is a God who's far off. Difficult to really know. Difficult to to claim to, to know personally. This is a God who is, yes, responsible for everything we see. This is a God, yes, who's responsible for the stars and the heavens. This is the God who's responsible for life itself. But this is a God who is, if we're being honest, quite mysterious still to us. Many people have the Genesis 1 God. Many people. Many people would say, I I believe there's a God. Yeah. I find it hard to believe that there isn't a God. I, I, can, I can accept that there's, there's intelligent design in the universe. I can accept that there's a creator. Yeah, I, okay, I, I would say I'm probably a God, believe in a God. I, I would probably not be an atheist. I'd say a huge, a huge number of people would think that way. And even if they're not articulating it quite like that, it's evident when someone maybe dies and you make comments like, I hope they're peaceful. They're in heaven now. They're with the angels. There's a, kind of, there's a hope that there's this God out there and that this God is good. There's a hope that for the loved one who's died that they are maybe, you know, they're in heaven now and it's all fine. But we don't go beyond Genesis 1. So, so what we are doing and what so many people do is they fill in the blanks. And God becomes cast in our own imagination of what we imagine God to be. The irony is is that this then becomes a God cast in our image, whereas we've been cast in his image. And so so the frustration is, why are you not going beyond Genesis chapter 1? We're given the Lord God here in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God. Who is this Lord God? Where does this name come from? Turn to Exodus chapter 3, and the, the text will be with us, so on the screen... Exodus chapter 3, here we go, and from verse 6. Moses is encountering the burning bush in this scene. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out, Because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land 
flowing with milk and honey. Verse 13. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Moses encounters the burning bush. He speaks. He speaks, who should I say you are? And the answer is, I am who I am. It's an amazing response. I am. I am. I'm me. You say, I am has sent you. It speaks of his, his eternity, his ch- changelessness, his otherness. This I am, this Lord, Yahweh. This is how God reveals. He says, I am the Lord. But not only that, he says, I am the one who sees the affliction of my people. I am the one who hears them crying out. I've seen their sufferings. I've seen their pain. I'm grieving over the pain of my people who are in slavery, who are being oppressed. This is not just a distant God. This is a God who speaks. Moses, Moses. This is a God who sees the affliction of his people. This is a God who hears their cries. And this is the Lord God of Genesis 2, verse 4. Before a single sin, before sin and evil and darkness enters the world, Moses wants us to know these are the generations that came from the Lord God. Not far off, not distant. One who sees, one who hears one who cares, one who fathers, one who rescues, one who cares. This is who Moses would have us know God to be. You and I have to hear these things, and we're going to hear them today. Why? Because one of the consequences of sin is that our minds are opposed to God And the gospel is constantly working to transform our minds that we might have a right understanding of who God is and what God is like. Because we fill in the blank so often and we cast God in our own image, we so often think of God as this this kind of fear-mongering, angry, out-to-get-us judge. And we're going to see through this name how he wants you to know him. So the Lord God, Yahweh, speaks to Moses. Let's go to Exodus 34. And this is described by many as maybe the greatest revelation, theological revelation of who God is in the Old Testament. Verse, so this is Moses on Mount Sinai. This is Moses as he's receiving the law. This is Moses, as it were, right before the glory and the presence of God. And this is how the Lord speaks to him. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation. Which of those verses stood out to you most? I liked the way it started. It started with a a God I like the sound of. Slow to anger, full of compassion and grace, faithful love. And then it says, he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. I don't like the sound of that. Does that mean to say that my sin is going to affect my kids and their kids and their kids and it won't go unpunished? Yep. Yes, that's true. But notice what came before. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow and anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Well, we're told here that his He will not leave them unpunished to the third and fourth generation. Do you see that? His mercy, his grace, his love, his kindness, his compassion goes much further than the third and the fourth generation. It goes to the 1,000th generation. Do you see how good news that is? We go, oh, the third and the fourth generations are going to get whooped. No, that's not how to read this. What we have to understand is that his mercy goes further further, goes further. This is the Lord God. This is the Lord God who's revealed to Moses. This is the God that you need to know and, and hear about today. Goes further in compassion, in love, in grace, in kindness. And before we get to Genesis chapter 3 and the arrival of the serpent and the deceit and the lies and, and the consequent devastation that comes from the first sin that results in every evil that has ever happened in this world, every atrocity, we're told of the Lord God, Elohim Yahweh, the Creator but the one who's personal, the one who cares, the one who makes a promise, the one who redeems the promise. So he's the creator, he's the covenant redeemer. The covenant is the promise, the redeemer is the way in which it gets fulfilled. That's who he is, that's who we encounter in Genesis chapter two. Moses, before the presence of God, is overwhelmed by his glory overwhelmed by the power and the majesty and the awesomeness of this God, this burning bush that is before him, this sense of his imminence and his presence, but he's got to whip his shoes off because the ground is holy. He's feeling very away. He can't even look. And then Moses, he says, Lord, I just want to see your glory. Let me see your glory, please. May I behold your glory. And God says, okay, you can't see my face, though. You can't see my face. You will be incinerated. But I will pass by you. 
And so something of the glory of God passes by Moses. He gets like a glimpse. And this is so overwhelming for him. He comes down from the mountain. His face is shining. Everyone is freaked out by this. He has to wear a a veil over his face because everyone is freaking out at, at the shining face of Moses. That just from a glimpse. Not even getting to see his face. Here's the thing. What if it were possible to see the face of God? What if it were possible not only to see his face, but to reach out and to touch him? What, what would it be like to lean, as it were, on the chest of God? What would it be like to feel his closeness and his warmth, to feel his breath? What would it be like if God became a human being and walked among people like us? ate with people like us. What would that be like? And so we go to the next mountaintop moment as we turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And we have in the incarnation, incarnate, in flesh, God comes in that way. And the revelation continues to build. Verse 21 She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus. Why? Because he's coming to save people from their sins. What does the name Jesus mean? It is Yahweh is salvation. So we get this name which was given to Moses, but in the coming of Jesus, we have, I am the one who saves you. (laughs) I am who I am is like, that's revelation enough. He's the eternal, unchanging one. And then we have this, this next layer, this next layer of revelation, which is, I am the one who saves. I am the one who forgives sins. This is who I am. And Jesus comes and he gives us a fuller and more stunning revelation of God. The revelation is stacking up as we go through the Bible, stacking up. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He's compassionate. He's abundant in his goodness. And we have the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and, and then just when you feel like this God who's always pouring out mercy and grace couldn't be any more wonderful, we watch the life of Jesus and Jesus says, this is, who my, this is who God is. And this is what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. Are you hungry? In your soul, is there a hunger? Some, you, you, a hunger that nothing's ever touched. I am the bread of life. Do you feel like you're lost and you're wandering and you're trying to find a home? He says, I'm the good shepherd. Do you sometimes feel like you're, you're in darkness and you don't know where to turn or where to look? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Do you feel a sense of hopelessness? Do you feel a sense of hopelessness in the face of death? Do you fear death? Do you long to see those that have died live again? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Are you trying to find answers in this world where there are so many different theories and so many different philosophies and there are so many different worldviews and so many different religions? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you wondering, how do I find my way to paradise? How do I find my way back, as it were, to Eden? How do I find the life I'm longing for? How do I find the happiness I desire? How do I find all my dreams fulfilled? Jesus says, I am the door. You enter through me. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And how did people react to him saying that? They wanted to kill him, stone him. Why? Because he's claiming Israel's name for God for himself. Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And this, who, this is who the Lord is. This is who we meet in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. The Lord God. The Lord God. The one who was before Abraham, the one who is the good shepherd, the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who, who, who is the gate, who is the door, is Jesus Christ. This is who we find in Genesis 2, verse 4. What are the implications of all of this for you and I today? What does this mean? Fifthly, you must call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10 verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You need to be saved. You need to call on his name. You need to be rescued from your slavery. You need to be set free from the power of sin. You need to know Jesus Christ. You need him to come into your heart and to bring resurrection to you. You need that to happen. You need your sins forgiven because one day you will die and stand before your judge. And in that moment, it's too late. But for those who call on the name of the Lord, today... There is forgiveness of sins. You and I need to call on his name. And he is faithful. He's faithful. If you don't, if you're not yet convinced, let me read to you from Luke chapter 23. Because this happened to a bloke once. There he called on the name of the Lord. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve, the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, The Lord saves. Jesus. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is the faithful response. He said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Where's that, where's that 
guy right now? He's having an absolutely epic time right now. He's loving it. Dancing, feasting, enjoying the happiness he longed for his whole life. He was stealing and thieving and trying to get something and he failed over and over again, miserably, horrifically, to the point that he gets crucified. And if there were ever a picture of a hopeless life, a life lived badly, it was that guy. And what happens right at the end? There's the door to paradise. Yeah? And so he walks through, and glory is what is on the other side. He called on the name of the Lord You must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What mercy that this guy gets to do that right at the very end. What mercy that is. What kindness that is. Sounds like a God who's slow to anger and rich in love, is compassionate, is full of grace and kindness. This is who our Lord is. And we're going to finish with the same passage we heard read earlier on. Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason... God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is the I Am Jesus Christ is the God of Genesis 2 verse 4. Jesus is the God who walks through Eden. Jesus Christ is the one that gives himself and pays the ultimate price. Jesus is the one who stamps the serpent's head, crushes his head. Jesus is the one that gives us ultimate and eternal victory over sin and death. Jesus is the one you need to call upon today. Jesus is the Lord's Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity today. You need to call on his name. Have you had a God who's more like the Genesis 1 God? Has that been your God? It's distant, probably exists, probably is the creator. I'm here today because there's probably a God. But you've not known his name. And you've not known that he's kind and compassionate and merciful. You've not known that you can know this God personally. You can know him today. You can know Jesus today, as many of us do. I love that song that came earlier on. I see you. I know your name. He knows your name. He calls us by name. My sheep will hear my voice. I call them by name. Love that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is the one that rescues us from our slavery, rescues us from our sin, 
and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess. We know that will happen. Lord, give us confession of faith in you today. Just like that thief at the cross who in those final moments walked through the door into paradise. Lord, we call upon you, Jesus Christ. Thank you, you're faithful to forgive sinners like me. And Lord, we call upon you today. Just call upon him in your heart right now. Lord Jesus, I love you. I call upon you. I confess you are God. I believe you died and that you rose again. And I give my sin, I give my my mess to you. Take it from me. And in exchange, Lord, let me wear your perfect robes of righteousness. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, he's exalted. And we worship and adore him today. Amen.